Hi, and welcome to the Savvy Social Hour podcast. This show is for female biz babes looking to up-level their business and become rockstar entrepreneurs in no time. I'm your host, Jenny, and I'm so excited to chat with you about today's episode. Let's get right into it. Hey, Savvies. Welcome back to another episode of the Savvy Social Hour podcast. I'm here today with Amber Runyon. Amber is a speaker, nurse, candle maker, social entrepreneur, founder, and visionary of 11th Candle Co. Amber began her journey as a nurse and went on to do medical missions across the world. While in Ethiopia, she witnessed two young girls being sold into human trafficking in broad daylight. In this moment, she realized she didn't want to live in a world where little boys and girls could be bought and sold. So in 2015, she founded her nonprofit legacy and 11th Candle Co. with the mission to redeem, restore, empower, and equip those vulnerable to human trafficking, abuse, exploitation, and addiction. Three years later, the organization continues to welcome women with employment, trauma-enforced counseling, and a safe place to be themselves. Amber has been featured in many magazines, articles, and other media. In August of 2018, she gave a TED Talk in Hilliard, Ohio. Amber lives in Worthington, Ohio with her son and two dogs. So I'm really excited to have Amber here today to chat all about building a social empire. So let's just dive right in. Hi, Amber. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited you're here and I cannot wait to chat all about building a social enterprise with you. So before we dive into the episode, tell us a little bit about yourself and your business and just how you got started doing it all. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I um, am the founder and CEO of 11th Candle Company. Um, and so we, our primary goal is to employ women that have been victims of human trafficking, exploitation, addiction, and abuse. Um, and the way I got started with that is I'm a nurse by trade, um, and I traveled all over the world in one of those trips in Ethiopia. Um, and I fell in love with a little girl over there and just kept going back and became more involved in her community. Um, and one day witnessed two little girls um, being sold in the middle of the day. They're blindfolded and a guy was kind of like leading them through the, the marketplace. And um, I asked my translator, like, what's happening? And he said, they're being sold. I thought, man, he, he surely is not understanding this. It's got to be a language barrier issue. Um, what, what are they doing? And he said, they're being sold. And I said, I still don't understand what you're saying to me. And just so frankly, he said, they're being sold for sex. They're blindfolded so they can't see where they are. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and so I, you know, obviously that wrecks you on a completely different level. And I, I just couldn't like quite wrap my head around it. And the fact that they were just so nonchalant about it. like, yep, that happens. And, um, and so I came back to Columbus, which is where I live and started um, researching like Columbus Ohio's biggest social issues and human trafficking. We are the fourth largest in the United States for human trafficking. And I thought, oh my goodness, the same likelihood that, that Mulu would be trafficked in um, Ethiopia, it seemed to see, have the same likelihood to be, of being trafficked here. Um, and that's when I decided I didn't want to live in a world where little boys and little girls could be bought and sold. Yeah, no, that is definitely something that can really change the entirety of how you live your life, I can only imagine. You know, because you see it on things like the news and stuff, but it doesn't really, like, hit home as close as if you were to like observe that happening right in front of your face, you know? So that's really crazy. And I 
I mean, I'm not surprised that it kind of made you want to do a little more research and kind of see like, okay, how does, you know, this affect me, um, you know, in the U.S. And it's crazy that it's prevalent in the U.S. as well. Like, I remember it was a couple of days ago, actually, we sh there was some like, segment on the news and it was about Houston and Houston being like pretty big for human trafficking as well. And that's where I live. So I was like, what the heck? Like, you know, you wouldn't yeah. think that a, you know, that would happen as much in the U.S., but it does. And it's just crazy. Yeah. So um, with that, with that being said, I mean, human trafficking is a multi-billion dollar industry. It makes more than Starbucks, Google, um, and Apple combined. Oh my God. That's insane. Yeah. And the majority of the trafficking that happens in the United States is domestic, meaning that there are people that are from here. That's just so sad. And you know, like, like I said, you see these cases on the news and it doesn't really hit home to you unless it's like, close by or you know you actually like you saw it in person like it's just it's so sad and it's so crazy that that's so prevalent you know in developed countries so um so when it comes to like a social enterprise what exactly does that entail um just so my audience is kind of clear on that yeah, so I think it's really interesting because social enterprise has kind of become this buzzword. Um, and when I started the company, it wasn't like, I want to start a social enterprise. Mm -hmm. um, it was kind of like, I want to start a company that helps people. Um, so really, a social enterprise is um, exactly what it sounds like. So enterprise, meaning a business, um, and social, meaning that there's some sort of social, um, social side of it. The thing that I will, that thing that I think is going to be interesting to see as this continues to be a trend is what kind of accountability are we going to start holding social enterprises to? Meaning, like, are you actually doing what you're saying you're doing? Um, is it, it, you know, are, because it's kind of become this like really like I'm going to be a social enterprise. I give two percent of my sales to the dog pound. Um, and so, and I'm not saying that that's like not, you know, I don't want to make your angry, your listeners angry, um, but I'm not, but, but what does it look like to actually look at true sustainable change for social enterprises? Um, and so that's what it means. Like social enterprise, we're a company that, um, that, that is, was made to bring about social change. Exactly. Um, and with your company, um, you know, how do you go about kind of, finding those women who are in that position. I know you said it's people who have been affected by any type of abuse, you know, trafficking, things of that nature. So how do you kind of like go about finding those people to employ at your company? Yeah. So it, when it first started, it was kind of like, um, it was kind of like, uh, I kind of just went out and was like, hey, does anybody know anybody that's been trafficked, which is the worst way to do it. I would strongly not suggest that. Um, and as we've kind of grown and, and began to understand more and network more, we work with different um, organizations who have women that are ready. And we also have a wait list. Um, and so at this point, we're not, we don't have to go out looking for them. People know of our company. And so we get emails and letters and all that stuff all the time um, talking about, talking about um, you know, can I come work for you and, and those sort of things? Well, that's amazing that you guys have a wait list. Like that is, you know, I've never heard of that before. Like people, you know, being on a wait list to work there, but you know, I can see why, because you know, they are affected directly by your mission and what you're all about. So it completely makes sense. Um, so when it comes to your business, what are some of the challenges that you face along the way? I'm sure you have some struggles that are similar to any online business owner or in-person business owner, but you know, are there any that stand out that or just, you know, you feel like probably didn't affect most people, but really affected you? 
that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm a nurse, so I have literally zero business background. Um, I didn't even know what, like what somebody was like, "Do you have your P and L?" And I was like, um, "I don't know what that is." <laughs> um, so I mean, I feel like at this point, I have an MBA. Um, definitely not majoring in accounting because that's I hate that more than anything. Um, but I think that that is really it. So I mean, like I had the I had the passion. Um, you know, I had the mission. It was just really learning business and learning business kind of as you as you grow your business. So for three years old, we started with two hundred fifty dollars. Um, I've never owed a penny in debt, um, and are working on opening a multiple stores throughout the United States this year. And so we've grown exponentially very quickly. And so it's, it's not just learning how to run a business, but it's learning how to scale a business. And is it scalable? And how do you do those different things? And so I think for me, it's just not having any sort of business background and really just having to learn. Because I think that that's what happens a lot of times. You know, most startups don't make it to five. Most startups don't make it to three or even one. And I think it's because people you know, people miss that piece that like you really, I mean, I studied business, like I would like watch, watch, you know, YouTube videos and lectures and read books. And, and so I think that that's, you know, been one of the hardest parts is just learning like, what is a business and how does it work? If you don't have enough money, um, you know, business doesn't work. Exactly. Yeah. If you, if you're not making enough money, it's basically a hobby. It really expensive hobby at that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think a lot of people can really resonate with that because my, I myself, didn't have any business experience and I didn't have any entrepreneurs in my family so I didn't really know anything about it but I just kind of took a dive into it and you know you just kind of learn things all along the way and if you're really passionate about it you find ways to educate yourself whether you you know pay for some kind of trainings or you just look up things online for free but if you're really into it and you really want to make it work I think you'll do whatever it takes to get there especially if it's just like the business savvy part that's holding you back. Right. And I think that that's the, that's the thing is that, I mean, there's a couple of different things that make a business successful. Um, one of them is you have to have a good product. The other one is you have to have, um, you have to have um, a good mission. So you can have a really good product and have a crappy mission and you're only going to do okay. If you do, if you have a, um, you know, a good mission, but a crappy product, people aren't going to continue to buy your product. Exactly. Um, so I think you have to have all three. You have to have, you know, a good product, a good, um, mission and those two things really is what is what makes a business successful or not successful so people kind of lack in one of those two areas um, mm -hmm. and then the other way is, is storytelling like you have to be able to, to to communicate your story to your audience exactly yeah it's really important um, especially I feel like on with online businesses because you know you don't have that physical presence so you really need to make sure that you're selling yourself just by your website um, so it's definitely really, really key for pretty much all businesses to have that story element down. Um, yeah. And I, th so I think that, I mean, I think that people kind of get hung up on one area of their business, not really kind of, you know, seeing the whole thing through. For sure. I totally agree with that. Um, so I know you do products. Um, are you mainly, um, in a storefront or do you have an online store? How does, how does that work? Yeah, so we have um, storefronts, and then we also do um, e-commerce. And so it's interesting because we, we kind of have kind of looked at a couple of different business models, um, and one of our core values is education. And so what we're, try we're trying to educate as many people as possible. And so we chose malls um, in particular to, to go into um, because of such high foot traffic and the ability to educate more people. So do you have, like, a, a cart within a mall? or No, like an actual store, like a, like a kiosk. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. So I used to, I actually used to do social media for a mall and I helped 
um, fill all the kiosks as well for like different businesses. You know, so that was that was interesting to kind of see um, and you know learn about the logistics of that because not very many people <laughs> know how that works. So you guys have yeah. like kiosks that you um, sell your candles off of basically. So it, so it's not a cart. It's like a 180 square foot like store. But oh. we've worked with mall. We've worked with malls to be like in the middle of the mall. Oh, okay. So it's like it's like a kiosk sort of setting. Like we're like we're literally like right smack in the middle of the mall, right in front of the Apple Store. Okay. And so it's not it's not like a white cart kiosk like you usually see. I know. Um, it's, yeah, we had some of those. Uh, I think one of the drawer, like the smaller jewelry stores, had one of those. So it was like a bigger like thing, but it was in the middle instead of like you know on the side. It's like a regular store, you know. But yeah, yeah. So it's a hundred. So the the one that we have open now is one hundred eighty square feet, um, and then we're we're opening a couple more this year that will probably be between be between one hundred eighty and two hundred fifty square feet. Um, but what's unique about what we've done inside the mall setting is that we're actually allowing people to create custom candles. And the reason that we did that is because we want people to sit in the seat so we can educate them on what this is and, and the problems and so on. So people can actually come, come, come and create their own custom scent um, and interact with our staff and learn more about human trafficking and that sort of thing. And so that's kind of the, the direction that we went. Obviously e-commerce, um, we still have a very heavy like online presence. Um, I'd say at this point, it's probably 50-50 for online and in-store. Um, our store just opened up in October. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see as as we flesh this out, will it kind of stay that way? Um, and so, um, yeah, and so e-commerce, the, the way that we that we work there is we try to get people to either buy subscription boxes or to where we get people constantly going back to, right, one touch in the seat, and then you have your second, third, fourth, fifth touch through emails and so on and so forth. That's cool. I, I like that you're doing both methods because usually when I speak to people, they're either like online products or, you know, online services. There's, I don't talk to very many people that have like a physical presence somewhere. So it's really cool that you're kind of exploring both avenues. And I think it's smart um, financially because you're able to reach a wider audience than just the people in your city. So that's really cool. And do you plan to like expand in other states as well? Or are you just staying in your Ohio area? Nope, our goal would be to expand throughout the Midwest in the next two years. Um, we're looking at, you know, um, three to five opening this year. Um, and then in our, you know, by 2020, we're looking at probably 15 stores. Oh, that's so exciting, yay. And then you said you have a subscription box too? Yeah, so what, one of the things that we that uh, I learned running a business is um, to kind of, we have a consumable product. Um, and so to, to keep that product being consumed, instead of them being like, oh, I'm at Target, I'm going to pick up this candle, um, they know that their candle is coming from us every month. That's awesome, yeah. So, like having some kind of subscription model is really, not only really popular right now, like things like Netflix and stuff like that, but it's really, it's a really good way to have that consistent income coming in because you're, you know, the person if you kind of see how many people like say you have 50 people that constantly get the subscription then you're like okay i can guarantee this amount of income versus like you know people just one off ordering you can't really guarantee how many sales you're gonna get every month um, exactly so yeah that's, that's a really good model i'll have to i'll have to check it out i'm like a candle addict so it's probably not good for me but i definitely am going to look into it because yeah wait did our did my team send you a i feel like um did they send you a package of candles yet no. Okay. We definitely always send a package out, so I'll double check with them and, and make sure that it gets out. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'm all, I'm all about the candles. But yeah. So are there any awesome kind of gratifying moments 
that stand out to you that made you kind of think, wow, this is why I started this business that you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a, there's been a lot of those, right? I mean, I the the one privilege of my job is that I get to have like the front row, row seat to watching lives change every day. Sometimes in really big ways, sometimes in like really small ways. But I mean, like I've seen people get cars for their first time in their lives. I've seen people get apartment keys for the first time in their lives. I've seen people buy beds for the first time in their lives. Um, we've watched women really just kind of. It's so fascinating and, and, and awesome to watch these women kind of come into our into our job into our place of employment and into our program and then you know a year later 18 months later they're like a completely different person um so i mean it, it's those sort of things and and then it's the small decisions where they're making better life decisions they're eating healthier they're um and that sort of thing and so i think that like it's just I'm trying to think of like specifics, but I mean, I just think about like when Monica turned her apartment key for the first time, you know, when Mona turned on her car for the first time, like, and so it's just, I, I'm just thinking about like all these different, different things. But I think for me, it's just, it's watching that day to day, like they are coming up with ideas and they're you know, contributing to the company and different things like that. Um, and just watching them kind of really come alive as they continue to heal from, from what's happened to them. I love that. And I think like, especially after experiencing something like that, you know, you, you're scared to put your voice out there again, but once you're finally able to, and it actually gets heard finally, it's like such an amazing moment for them and the person to like you to watch and see kind of like, wow, like they are finally being able to open up again after XYZ happened, you know? Right. So that's, that's really amazing. And I bet that is just really, really rewarding. I can only imagine. So now let's dive into the three questions I ask everyone that comes on the show. So what does it mean for you to be an entrepreneur and what is your favorite part about it? You kind of already said that, but you know, if there's anything else that you really enjoy about being an entrepreneur, feel free to include that. Yeah, I mean, I think my favorite thing about being an entrepreneur um, is definitely not the day-to-day. -day. I hate that more than anything. Um, is casting that vision and being able to see the bigger picture and being able to, as we're grinding out daily, know where that we're doing this for five years down the road and that we're doing this. And so for me, I think it's, it's kind of that being able to like visually see and, and have a vision of where our company is going to go. Um, and then, and I, I think that, um, what was the second half of that question? Um, your, what does it mean for you to be an entrepreneur? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you one more time. Oh, what does it mean for you to be an entrepreneur? Like, you know. Oh, got it. Yeah, and so I think, I think it, you know, it's, it's kind of being able to create something that's bigger than yourself um, that, that will kind of have that lasting legacy, right? So my company has far outgrown me at this point. Um, in the beginning, like, it was all me. Um, and now at this point, there, there are a lot of aspects of my company that I don't, I don't ever touch or really know about, um, you know, except for, like, on a higher level. And so I think it's just being able to create something from absolutely nothing. Yeah, and I think a lot of people can agree with that because it's like it's your own thing that you created. And even though now or you know a couple of years down the line you might not be doing everything, it's you know you know that you built this thing, and you know that's really cool because not everyone can say that. So yeah, that's that's awesome. And then, what is your favorite tool that you use in your business? So this can be anything, but just something that you just could not live without in in your business at all. My cell phone. I would say that I run, this is not an exaggeration. I would say that I run probably 90 to 95% of my business for my cell phone. Ooh, yeah. I, I very, I very rarely actually get out my laptop. 
that's that's really cool. I mean, not a lot of people can say that because I feel like I need like a combo of my phone and my computer to get everything successfully done. But I think that's really awesome. And yeah, I don't know where I would be without my phone either. Um, I would probably <laughs> not be able to get what I need to get done, but also I would probably be better off. But I digress. <laughs> but yeah. And then lastly, who is your go-to business resource? Is there just someone that you, you know, um, look up to or you know you feel like they are a really good role model that kind of thing Brene Brown oh and yeah that's a good one she's awesome I love and I, I think the thing about Renee Brown is that like she doesn't directly like talk about business. She talks about leadership and yeah. you cannot have a successful business without successful leadership. And so you can have all these ideas and all this money and all these different things, but really it ends, it begins and ends with who are you as a leader. And so I think Renee Brown has definitely shaped me as a leader, continues to shape me as a leader and continues to, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't like call her me accountable but like doing her work and reading her work and 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 listening to her kind of keeps me accountable as a leader like where am i leading from why why am i having you know these issues and so on and so forth so if i ever like have like an issue like why does it seem like my staff can't communicate with me and then it's kind of going back and looking at like maybe i'm the one that's not easy to be communicated with um and so i would definitely say renee brown yeah and i think that's really important it's like you need to be able to look and see where you're lacking, not where they're lacking. Because a lot of the exactly. time we are like, oh, well, XYZ didn't do this. But a lot of the time it's because we are not giving them that leadership that they need to really take the reins and do it for themselves. So. 100%, 100%. And I, so that's why I think, I mean, I just, I admire all of Brene Brown's work. I've read every one of her books, probably, not an exaggeration, probably a good five to 10 times. Um, and have taken a lot of her online courses and and, you know, constantly listening to her podcast and, and, you know, different things like that. Um, but I really think that where my foundation and where my rootedness in leadership is, um, is from Brene. Totally. I love that. And that's one that actually, for some reason, no one's ever said that, but I'm actually surprised because she's pretty popular. So, but yeah, um, I need to, I need to check out some of her books. I've read some of them. Brene and I are best friends. She just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> no, I totally get it. But yeah, thank you. Oh, let us know where we can find you. So your website, you know, you guys' social channels, all that good stuff. Yeah, so everything like uh, Pinterest and Instagram and Facebook, it's all at 11th Candle Co. Our website is 11thcandleco.com. Awesome. Yeah, I'll link everything in the show notes so you, everyone can go check it out. Get themselves some candles because who does not like candles? And if you don't, don't tell me because I don't want to be your friend. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for being here today. I really enjoyed chatting with you about your business and everything. And yeah. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And I'll make for sure that my team gets that box out to you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. You can find all the details from this episode by going to www.savvysocialhour.com slash episode 87. Make sure to join the Savvy Social Media Waves community Facebook group for daily prompts, updates on the podcast, and more. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. You can find us on the web at www.savvysocialhour.com. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Savvy Social Hour and like our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash Savvy Social Hour. New episodes will be released every single Tuesday and Thursday. See you next time.